0: Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we're going to be exploring instrumental trans communication, and my guest is one of the foremost people working in that area, Dr. Annabella Cardosa, a former Portuguese diplomat, a former editor of the ITC Journal, the journal no longer in publication for people who are seriously researching instrumental transcommunication. communication. She is also author of three books, Electronic Voices, Contact with Another Dimension, Electronic Contact with the Dead, What Do the Voices Tell Us?, and Glimpses of Another World, Impressions and Reflections of an EVP Operator. Annabella lives in Spain. and Now, I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Annabella. It's a real pleasure to be with you today.
1: Thank you, Jeff. The same here. A real pleasure.
0: You've been experimenting with what we call instrumental transcommunication for many decades. And the thing that really impressed me the most about your persistence is, is, is exactly that. It's persistence, as I recall. it. At one time, you kept experimenting on a weekly basis, I think it was for two years, without any results at all. But you kept going. That's absolutely true. I did for two years. No results.
1: I think it was, could have been 2012, around that, um, that year. For two years or a, a couple of months less than two years, no results. I still would turn on my radios um, on, the, on, the, on the days that uh, I had um, booked with my communicators. And I thought, well... This is something that happens with the so-called paranormal phenomena, as you know better than I do. And I thought, so that's it. Now, because this has, has happened to other operators, suddenly the voices disappear and they don't come back. But then one day, one day, I was sitting there as usual. Yes, I am a very persistent person. It is true. And suddenly the voices started, and they started with this uh, word in Portuguese, voltamos, we came back, voltamos, we came back. And again they repeated, voltamos. Uh, I don't remember now what else they said, but it started like this. It's it's the last uh, audio that I published when my first book was published electronic voices contact with another dimension and i issued a cd with with voices that would illustrate what i um, said in the book and this was the, this was it even came as an appendix because um, the, the book was was to be printed and that's when i got that uh, well, in that in that at that time that at last we came back full times and I could still include it in the in the C D that is published. And I was very happy. And from then on the voices never stopped. Although they don't have the initial characteristics, because at at the beginning it was my main communicator who was called is, I suppose, well, if names have a meaning, I'm not sure, Carlos de Almeida at, uh, at Rio do Tempo group. Zeitstrom, Zeitstrom in German, station, translated as time stream, that communicated with the Harsch-Fischbach and Adolf is in Germany. Professor Sankovsky was one of the great um, witnesses and um, uh, one of the people was in constant contact with Zeitstrom. He used to speak with them, with the technician, the high um, entity, with um, Dr. Swejan Salter of another planet, as she explained. And this book, Senkofsky's book, I mean, Instrumental transcommunication of almost 500 pages has registered all these dialogues, all the computer texts, all these extraordinary um, occurrences that happened in Luxembourg and Rivnich um, in Germany, and one of these one of these um, interventions by Zeitstrom time, time stream. A personality called Carlos de Almeida came into Luxembourg. He spoke in, in Portuguese. He's Portuguese, not Spanish. He spoke in, in Portuguese and sending a message to a conference that was going to happen and happened in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And this was before me. This was before I started experimenting must have been 95 more or less 96 one of the last contacts in luxembourg is of the year 2000 one of the last um, that we have knowledge of and so that was when i really started like uh, you know getting more important contacts yeah
0: so when you talk about Rio do Tempo in Portuguese or Zeitstrom in German, German.
1: yeah,
0: uh, these are. Uh, stations on the other side, where people, uh, deceased people who have technical expertise, are working on their end to create a a communication center for the purpose of reaching out to people in our three dimensional world. Uh, is, that's correct, I presume.
1: That's exactly correct, because that's what the communicators themselves have said. Not only deceased people, let's put it this way, deceased people, deceased scientists, as they informed years ago, years before the starting of ITC, by the 1930s, they already sent messages of this type. And the kind of of station, yes, let's call it a transmitting, transmitting center, which, by the way, William T. Stead, the English writer who, who, who perished in the sinking of the Titanic, in one of his books called Blue Island, which I read, he speaks exactly of a center de- devoted to this kind of communication. He doesn't yet speak about, uh, about the machines, but he says... It's a center from where the contacts with the Earth are channeled. Supposedly, they are are, um, directed, oriented, guided by high entities of a different nature, not human nature, and um, by deceased scientists, in the case of Luxembourg, Swayan so, Salter was a physicist, supposedly, as she said, of another planet, physical planet, called Varid. I have only, and I, Carlos at the time was still here, I mean, listening to the communications, where there is somebody in one of my recordings, I would, would not identify it easily because I have thousands, but he says... Like two people talking, talking, and he says, um, "We should speak with Dr. Swerjan. Her name is Swejan Salter." And, and this was with me. That have no apparent connection with Luxembourg. Of course, I must have a deep connection with with all this, I and others. But uh, so he said, "Let's let's speak with Dr. Swerjan." And Carlos heard this. And we were very, of course, interested and happy that she was mentioned. But uh, but to say the truth, my contacts are important because I have direct radio voices, very high, of good quality, not all, but, 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 but many. But the, the real, highly significant contacts were in Luxembourg and in Germany. In Rivenish with Adolf Humes, that Professor Stankowski followed and was constantly in contact with, and the the fischbach in Luxembourg, because the content of those messages is of such um, significance that um, that I've never seen in the field of the so-called Um, communications with another dimension or with the deceased and so on. This is to say that in in these centers, transmitting centers, stations, whatever, supposedly also, because I cannot guarantee these things as it is obvious, there there are also some devices, there are also devices of a different nature, obviously, that connect with ours and that connect with the earth operator and with the earth devices and all that is like a net a kind of a net that's how it has been um, described by the communicators
0: and the communicators that you have been working with now for over 20 years tell you that they come from a place called Rio do Tempo in in Portuguese.
1: Carlos de Almeida started by naming Rio do Tempo, uh, which means river of time. Yes. Rio, river, do, of, Tempo, time. Rio do Tempo. In that message in Luxembourg, he said, I am... He it, it didn't say coordinator, but I don't remember what he said, but he said, I am from the group I am from the Portuguese group at zeitstrom, which we call Rio do tempo. He said that in Luxembourg, and then here to me, yes, Rio do tempo thousands of times I have, and I had Carlos de Almeida identifying himself as Carlos de Almeida all those years ago. And then at a certain point, I do not know here, perhaps 2000 or so, when uh, uh, Carlos de Almeida one day, I asked, how are you Carlos de Almeida? I used to speak with him like this, very informally. And he said, "He said, I am ready to go. I'm ready to depart, yes. From, from then on, I never heard of Carlos de Almeida again, but instead I had I heard from my own family, my father, my brother Luis, my my grandmother, um, all those people, others that I do not know, but would give me names when I asked who is speaking. He said, "I am uh a, 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 so Ramiro, something, I am Ramiro from Rio do Tempo. Something like that. And, um, but not Carlos de Almeida, never again, he never spoke. And then I asked them, why doesn't Carlos de Almeida speak? And they said, because the level, the, the, the world, they said the world or, or the level where he is now, he can't speak with you. It is something similar to a son. Son, sun, the star. But it's not your son, they said. It's not your son, but it's a kind of sun. And so, and, and no, we can't speak with you. And then sometimes I ask, can he hear me? And they say, yes, he can hear you. See, this is all very, I'm very that it all seems like a, like a science fiction movie, but this is what happens, you know. I'm just translating what, what I experience, no more, no less.
0: Well, what attracted you to this area in the first place? You began your career in the uh, Portuguese diplomatic service. You were the consul general in Tokyo and Delhi and many important stations overseas. True. I was charge
1: d'affaires
0: in Tokyo. Well,
1: a replacement official, legal uh, replacement of the ambassador for two years or so in Tokyo. Yeah minister in other places of the embassy and so on what attracted me to this area of since i was a little girl i was always in my my own brother was a merchant marine captain my brother Luis also my ex-husband also we used to read a lot about the classical literature like Jacques Bergier, you, you know Jacques Bergier, what's the name of the book Carlos Jacques Bergier Le matin des magiciens
0: Yes yes the morning of the magicians
1: yeah, Exactly and this type of literature so I I always liked it, liked it but what attracted me was the morning of a friend who started experimenting with me here and Carlos she, Carlos, and myself, the three. And she had lost her, her only son in a, here in the Bay of Vigo in a sailing accident. And she had tried to commit suicide three or four times because besides he was a very good son, 18 year old boy and so on. Very nice person, so it seems. And trying to help her, but I, I don't remember how we met Carlos, but it was many years ago. So it was through another person. He was building a Kirlian, Kirlian camera. Carlos is into technical things, as I said. And this parapsychologist here in Vigo introduced us. But the other friends, she was in this, uh, in this state of depression, deep depression. So, well, I I said, and for some reason, they came to me. Somebody told them that I was interested in this subject. She came to me. I was Consul General here, yes, here in Galicia. And she came and asked uh, asked for an interview with me. I, I said, yes, yes. She told me the story. And it was a kind of a very dramatic story and she said what 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 can i do i said i don't know i, I really don 't know. <laughs> I know some theory about uh, not about i t c mind you what about other things not nothing in depth but I said, why don't we ask father Pilon? father Pilon was here in Spain, and i suppose the south the spanish speaking world was a very well known Jesuit, Jesuit priest who had written about the so-called paranormal. One of the books was, does the paranormal exist? And so on. He he was in Madrid. He died years ago. I said, so why don't we speak with Father, Father Pilon? Because, I mean, although I'm not a Catholic, not even a Christian, but, well, he was a person of reputation, good reputation. He was a Jesuit, I said, instead of going to some of these uh, local cheap mediums who really don't know much at all, and try to to rob you, but I don't want to say these things because, but well, they're not good here anyway. There are not many other. So we went to Madrid and had lunch with Father Pilon, I invited him for lunch. He accepted, we all went to lunch, not Carlos. Carlos did not come. And then I asked, what do you think, Father, that my friend could try and contact her son? It was her only, her only aim and wish was to contact her son, not contact with anybody else, her son. And he said, Father Pilon who was already an aged gentleman at the time. He said, why don't you try ITC? And we came back here to Vigo and uh, I said ITC. Well, so we started searching for ITC. In the meantime, we met Carlos through this parapsychologist. And Carlos, yes, he knew about ITC from the time when he was in Buenos Aires, I suppose, because he was interested in, not so much in the, he's not interested, He, he was not, and I suppose he's still not interested in the transcendental side of it. He was interested in the technical side of it. So we knew about this thing, how it worked, you know. But he never believed it worked, he said, and he wrote it. So, anyway, we called Carlos, he came, and we started experimenting.
0: You began, but as I recall, uh, you attempted to receive voices, I think, for a couple of months, at least, before anything happened.
1: It was just uh, less than two months, something like that. Mm -hmm. Because we started experimenting with the images, with the images, Klaus Schreiber methods, it's a feedback feedback loop method and so on. Yes, and, and got images. Mm-hmm. But then we started experimenting with the voices also. And it took well, one one month and three weeks, something like that. And then the voices started to to come. And then they were so there were so many voices. it was all here in my house. We didn't go anywhere in in my house. They used to come here Har and the the other friend so uh, there was no time for for everything for the images and for the voices and as a matter of fact, I was more interested in the voices because the voices can can provide you. Uh, with information about other spheres, other dimensions, and so I said, and be, at this point, I was practically alone. Carlos would come, my friend once a week, the other lady but i said well let 's leave the images because the images is a very time consuming method. you have to to." you have to see frame by frame. And in one minute you have 1,500 frames. So we have to, to view 1,500 frames one by one in a, in a screen, on a screen, you know? So I said, well, let's get into the voices. And that's what, what happened and stopped experimenting with uh, with the images. Because of time constraints problems, I was of course working here as Consul General, as you said, and uh, although the voices is also work, but uh, it's more exciting you get the direct contact you you speak and they reply to you when they start being when they started being direct radio voices that is an, an, an unmatched I would say, because you hear them reply to you and calling you by name, you know, so that is, that is, I think that is the, what I really liked most. And then I started asking questions about the subjects that still interest me and receiving replies. And, uh, that's, and then so many voices, so many, so many, so many. I don't know if I go to my files, I have the tapes there. I still use a, a tape recorder. That was the initial one. Maybe I have many hundreds of tapes. Not all direct radio voices, some EVP voices, the ones that you cannot hear directly, that appear recorded in the, media, in the media that you are using, computer or whatever. But many direct radio voices and then you have to, to put them into your computer. Then you have to, to listen to them. Then you have to transcribe them. Then you have to file them. Then you have to catalog them. And you see, it's also a lot of work. Work that only I, I did nobody else. I did the work. They... <laughs> They listened, <laughs> they gave their opinion, said, yes, yes. Ah, oh, yes, it's okay, it's yes, that, or it... Monica, I don't think so, and so on. But I did the work. And I was the one who was interested, very deeply interested from the beginning, and I'm still very deeply interested because I speak with my father. I speak with my mother, not so much my mother, but my father, yes, my brother... My father has spoke hundreds of times with loud, powerful voice. Say his name. Call me by, by my pet name, which is Bella. Not Annabella. Bella. That's how my family always called me. Sometimes Bellina. I hear my grandmother say, it's your grandmother. And then so many things, so many other things.
0: Well, at one point, you arranged to conduct a study at the local university where they had acoustically shielded rooms, and you you published a landmark study in, as I recall, the Journal of Neuroquantology.
1: Exactly. Neuroquantology, exactly. I did in uh, 2012, yeah, 12, yes. That's when they published it. It was a two- a two year study of 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 controlled experiments because we had um, an acoustics engineer some technician philip um, philip newell who is an international technician english he lives here by chance he happens to live here rather nearby and um, so I got in contact with him. He accepted we he supervised the, the the recordings. It was the equipment of the university it, it is It is the acoustic lab of the universe of the faculty of engineering really and I invited operators from other countries from Portugal, from Germany and one from from Spain also, and we did these controlled experiments with, with the equipment of the university, different types of equipment, many different ones, different microphones and so on. Not even background um, acoustic support, which is very useful for the voices because the voices are, are built from the, from the background noise. They are modulated on the noise. But no, we had no noise there at university. Nothing. Total silence. And Philip Newell, as I said, he was one of those who recorded Michael, what's the name, Mike Oldfield, is he? He was one of the sound, or if some technicians of Mike Oldfield, those special pipes music, you know.
0: Tubular bells.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So so he's a technician of high standing. He used to do works in Moscow, in Lisbon, as a matter of fact, he lived in Portugal before coming to live here in Germany and so on. So, Philip, who besides was a skeptic person, Mandy said so. Was the one who supervised the whole thing as a some technician. The university allowed us to use their premises, which we did, uh, a top of the class um, acoustic lab, built by Philip Newell for the university. And that's where we did the experiments and we had results. Of course, the voices are not as loud as in my studio here, my studio, because in my studio, I have the radios on, although my radios are tuned into frequencies reserved for the state use. They cannot be interfered with by radio emissions or by, what's the name of this, Um, radio ham, by radio ham operators, they can't, they can't enter these frequencies. They are for state use. They are for emergencies, for the use of, of the state. So all my now four radios are tuned in, in, into these frequencies, where there, there are no strenuous voices and no radio emissions and no radio ham. But they make noise. They make noise in my studio to and they then they changed the noise and so on and they they built their voices even the direct radio voices so it seems from that noise and at university we had no noise whatsoever but they used it's very interesting because they used the voices some Feeble voices, obviously, they couldn't be strong. They couldn't be powerful. There was no background noise. The voice, the, sometimes, like something like some like metallic sound, which was not produced in the acoustic uh, shielded lab, would appear recorded uh, abnormally, paranormally, and then glued glued to that sound a voice, you see? Or I would swallow, make a, a noise with my throat, which, of course, the highly sensitive microphone would, cap, would capture, and the voice would appear recorded to my, to my breathing or to my swallowing noise. You see, but always feeble,
0: yes. You had people who were trained listeners who would independently listen to these voices and evaluate what they heard.
1: Yes, oh yes, of course. We had had also this uh, Professor Uwe Hartman, he, he listened to all the recordings, my friends, the ones who came, and Uwe would listen to recordings because normally the voices replied in Portuguese, yes? Uh, and then I would ask Carlos and somebody else to come and listen and say, because it was a very hard work, because there was some, something like many hundreds of recordings, one with this microphone, the other with a different microphone, simultaneously, you see? Ooh, this was a horrible and consuming and tiring work. And yes, all the voices were listened to, or sometimes I would send them as an attachment to to an email to somebody who was um, elsewhere and say, what do you you hear? And, And so on, this type of thing, yes
0: from your writings, you, you indicated that in spite of the fact that you did this in a very professional studio with uh, a skeptical recording engineers supervising everything, you obtained many, many voices under rigorous conditions, uh, you found it almost impossible to interest other people in the scientific community uh, about this work.
1: Yeah, because as I said, Philip Newell, who was the supervisor of the the experiments, he was skeptical, totally. The the people at the university, the the professors, totally skeptic, and he said so. And uh, he was not at the experiments, but Philip was always there. And uh, yeah, but still voices were registered. But as I said, It's very interesting, interesting because in the conclusions that were published uh, in that study of neuroquantology, there are two types of voices. The voices that spontaneously appeared recorded while we were informally speaking. For instance, when there was a common experiment, With two or three people, because we did so many experiments. Some were were individual, some were two or three operators there by turns and so on. And before Philip said, let's start the experiment, we would be talking to each other, uh, talking informally, very, very relaxingly, and, and so on. And then Philip would say, okay, we start silence. Absolute silence. But before, if we were talking and there was some machine recording, recording, sorry, there were also voices, and these voices were loud and strong. And they would comment about what we were saying. Yes? And then during the experiment proper... The formal experiment, total silence, total, total is total silence. Then the voice is, yes, but as I said, either a metallic sound would be recorded paranormally, abnormally in the machines that were recording, computer, this and that, several machines. And a small, little, very feeble voice would appear recorded, Glued to that sound, or to, uh, or to I swallowing, swallowing, or, or, or uh, sometimes, <laughs> thing that will do like this because I or Uwe Hartman or one of the other operators, and the voices still be there, but very low amplitude. While w- when we were um, talking, chatting between us informally. Before the formal experiment, there would appear voices recorded loud and clear. Obviously, they used the acoustic waves of our own talking among ourselves to form their, in which way? No, I don't know in which way. If I knew, I would know a lot, and I don't. I don't know in which way, but I know that it was
0: like. Philip Newell, in his analysis of the voices, pointed out that uh, even though they were intelligible, they were not uh, the acoustical signatures of, of a human voice. They were not produced by anybody's vocal cords.
1: Exactly, because there are differences in the frequencies, fundamental frequency and this this the how is it called voice box I think in English no uh, signs of the voice box and so on and and no, some of those voices do not have these uh, characteristics, however, some might have them because Carl many years ago when we started he he, he went once to to Barcelona there was a professor of acoustics very famous there who had done the, the acoustics for the expo when it was in Barcelona Alfredo Bonavida professor Alfredo Bonavida and he took one of my voices uh, to this professor and and I and he said and it was obviously a paranormal voice and he said Yes, he had the, the pulses of the voice box of the glottis. It had and it was still paranormal. Because that also happened. So it's kind of it's I, I like these words, but I don't like them. Mystery. It is a mystery in a way because no scientists of Orthodox science has been interested to analyze, supervise, and witness these recordings. Yes, Philip Newell, yes, but Philip Newell is not a physicist. He's a sound technician, yes, and skeptic also. And he was there all the time. But that's the the only step I could accomplish, really. No more than this. (laughs) I've been trying to involve scientists, but to no avail so far.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk about the the hobbyists. I understand there might be as many as 10,000 people experimenting with ITC.
1: Or more, or more. According to Francois Brune, the theologian, French theologian, and psychical um, researcher, not operator, we never experimented, but he would go everywhere in the world to, to witness the. The cases that were reported, he was in Luxembourg, in in Rivnish with Adolf Homes. He was a close friend of Ernst Tzenkowski, my very dear friend, and so on. There were more than 10,000. Francois Francois Brun said around 20,000 people experimenting. And all this started happening, not because of us, or me, or the harsh fishpuff, no, but because of Constantin Roud even. When the English translation of Breakthrough appeared in England, published by Colin Smythe in 1971, then everybody started experimenting on their own feeling really. and claiming, I say claiming because I didn't listen to the results and claiming to obtain contacts with their deceased loved ones. And that's when the thing became spread throughout the world. And from then on, they were called the Rodiwe voices, if you remember. And that's what really started this big boom of the electronic voices. It was after the publication of Breakthrough by Konstantin Raudiva. As a matter of fact, as the book of an operator, Konstantin Raudiva's Breakthrough, published initially in German, of course, he lived in Germany, although he was Swedish, born in in Latvia, is perhaps the best book ever written on, on EVP. EVP at the time, it was called. An excellent book. He was surrounded by some of the top scientists of his time, physicists of high level, and so on, who even who even made devices for him. He was also a man of high standing, uh, a psychologist, um, a student of Carl Carl Gustav Jung. He had been with Friedrich Jorgensen in Sweden and learned of this method from Jorgensen, who was the, the great pioneer. And uh, himself was a man of science and of culture, Rod even. And it, it was because of him that it became so well known and so popular, let's say. And then it never stopped, really. Till today, when again it seems to uh, re- rec- recurring, <laughs> recurring, uh, ca- happening again, coming again into uh, into into uh, blooming, blooming again. Uh, it never stopped. The voices never stopped. There are times between seventy one and now, more or less, uh, more or less. Um, Intense, but they were always happening. High level contacts in Luxembourg and Germany. Also, also you must know her very well. I knew her and I liked her very much. I have photographs with her in my computer. Sarah Estep. I met her in. I met Sarah Estep. She was the founder of the American EVP Association. Voices of Eternity, isn't it? She was an operator. She was also a pioneer, not with Jorgensen, but a couple of years after Jorgensen. Sarah Estep, lovely lady that I met at one of the conferences that uh, I was invited to in Reno, Reno, the last one of the last ones, and she was there. She died a few years, some years ago. She was a good operator. She had wonderful voices. Sarah is there. So she is uh, a, a good example in the United States. And, and there are others. And then there were the associations that were formed in different countries. And uh, so, it, and they are always there. I mean, the voices—they still happen because I get I get um, contacts from people who ask me to 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 listen to their recordings. They are not always what they think they are, but some are. As I think it was William James said that for what was it the white crow. So if if one voice is good, I get many people who write to me and send me recordings. And but not all are what they say they are. Not all seem to be paranormal or to call them a the way the uh, word that I don't like. But some are. Some are. And this is sufficient to demonstrate demonstrate that the phenomenon exists. Besides, of course, the experiments at here at the, at the Laboratory of Acoustics of the Faculty of Engineering, of all the harsh fischbach contacts that were witnessed by by scientists from different countries, by Ernst Senkowski, who was a, a physicist, by this, I knew his wife, Mary Uphof. You know Walter Uphoff? He yeah, Uphoff, he went to Luxembourg, he was there, he contacted with George Meek. George Meek was there, they contacted not with George Meek, with the dead man who spoke that NASA scientist who allegedly spoke spoke through the spiritum, George Mueller, wasn't it? Yeah. George, George. Mueller through the spiritum which has been so defamed and not not with um, not with reason really the spiritum the spiritum did produce voices and people forget that some of the scientists that uh, george meek assembled even tried to we imitate the voices of the spiritum with that, those false larynxes, you know, and they could never reproduce them. But this is never sa- said. What is said is that William O'Neill falsified the voices. But you have to prove that to say it, isn't it, Chad?
0: Well, there is a tradition amongst uh, ITC operators, I understand, that very often uh, people like Raudiva, after they pass on, they communicate from the other side. Oh, yes.
1: Raudiva communicated um, a lot in, in Luxembourg. And Adolf Holmes, with the, with the spontaneous computer texts, that would appear in on the screen of his computer. He was a carpenter. He was not a technician, Adolf Holmes. And yes, the, the text should be signed by Rodieville, by by whoever, by the technician, by uh, Dr. Swirgen Salter, by Jurgensen, by Jurgensen. Oh yes, yes, yes. I I myself have a voice that says Jurgensen. He, he doesn't talk too much because my my main contacts were with Carlos de Almeida, the, the head of the Portuguese-Brazilian group. So they said at the church room called Rio do Tempo. Not with Rodiva or Jurgensen, but yes, he communicated many times, as I say, mainly in Luxembourg and in Rivnish with Adolfo Hormes, through computer texts, which are the, le- the least questionable evidence of ITC, because they appear on a computer screen without any intervention. In the case of Adolf Holmes, the, he was not at home. Because Sankovsky has it in his book, and when he came to, he was here a couple of times in my house and stayed here. He said Adolf was at the hospital, and still the, the computer would turn itself on, and the, an, an anomalous computer text would appear on the screen of Adolf Homer's computer. So these are the, well, they provide the strongest evidence of ITC, in my opinion. Because they are not subjected to to interpretation, are they? They appear recorded as a text. So, but but you know, it's the <laughs> it's the orthodox parapsychologists who who don't like ITC, but they don't analyze it. You have to like or not like something after you have analyzed. After you have. Examine, examined it, after you have studied the evidence, after, after you have read the literature, there are over 100 serious work, works published on ITC, serious. I don't, I don't mention the non-serious ones, which must be multiple. But to say that it is good or not good, you have to first be informed sufficiently about it isn't it and then there are the orthodox scientists if they don't examine other evidence they don't examine itc either although according to the communicators itc was devised in the next dimension by scientists so that palpable evidence could be analyzed here in Laboratories, as they said,
0: which is what you have done, as a matter of fact.
1: Listen, ask me for the recordings. I will send samples. Only one professor, French professor of mathematics or something, asked me for some voices. That and I sent them to him. We discussed them and so. You think that people ask me that they want to listen to what was recorded? No, they don't ask. If they ask me, I will send them and let them examine, but they don't want to. It's, it's an uncomfortable, how do I say? Evidence. Uncomfortable. Evidence, yes. As, as many types of evidence, like the med, good mediumship, I'm speaking. It also exists, and I know. Good mediumship evidence is also not analyzed by orthodox scientists with exception of course charles Richet and others at the time but not not many very few isn't it yes of course we all know that
0: you have uh, over the years nevertheless gleaned quite a bit from the conversations you have had you've actually in addition to your first book, talking about how you got into the field, you have two more books talking about what the voices are actually saying, what they're trying to communicate to you. And uh, what I'd like to do, Annabella, is a second interview where we'll go into that. Talk <laughs> okay. about the, uh, well, thank you. <laughs> the, the knowledge. The knowledge that you've (laughs) learned from these voices. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Annabella. Thank you so much for being with me.
1: Thank you, Jeff. A pleasure also from my side. Thanks for inviting me. Your uh, channel is, is a great channel. I know very well. I've listened to several of your interviews, which I enjoyed immensely. One of them I will not forget because I got... Good advice from him. It was an old gentleman that you interviewed. Old, I say, oldish. It was almost ninety, something like that. Give you advice about the vitamins and so on. I don't remember his name.
0: Oh, that would Dr. Norman Shealy. He was great. He was great. You
1: know, I I really enjoyed him.
0: Yeah. So yes, he's a wonderful man.
1: Oh, lovely. Very healthy, very energetic, yes, and very sensible, very knowledgeable. So, yes, oh, I enjoyed that very much. And others. Thank you, Jeff, for inviting me. Yes, of course, I will be at your full disposal.
0: Well, thank you again. And for those of you listening and watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you.